Let me invite you, if you have your Bibles, uh, to turn to Luke chapter 18. We're going to wander around in Luke 18 and 19 this morning. I have to, to uh, be honest with you uh, and confess that on Thursday morning, about 11 o'clock, this sermon took a radical left turn. Uh, in fact, the sermon that I had at 1055 on Thursday morning is not the sermon I'm going to preach this morning. It's a sermon I'm going to preach uh, in two weeks on Provision Sunday. But as I was reading this uh, particular text, I was in Luke 18, I, I kind of went back and started reading on both sides of that particular encounter, and my eyes just kind of kept getting bigger and bigger as I began to see something that I, I don't know that I've ever seen before. Maybe I have, maybe I, I just have forgotten. But I think it is of great importance to us as a church to get the context of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. Uh, way back in chapter 9, and months ago in our study of, of the Gospel of Luke, we talked about Jesus setting his face towards Jerusalem, that he made up his mind, that's where I'm going, uh, and, and nothing's going to turn me back. I'm resolved to do that. And everything from Luke 9, 52 and following uh, is about Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. And 18 and 19 are right in the middle of that trip. But I was looking at the teaching of Jesus and what dawned on me in these two chapters and what I'm going to try to share with you this morning are the people that Jesus encountered along the way. And not only the people that Jesus encountered, but the people that disciples encountered as well. Jesus' you know, 12 little buddies that were going along with him, they were right there with Jesus as he had these interactions with people. And what uh, jumped off the page of me, again, maybe for the first time in my life, was the absolute um, complete difference in the reaction that Jesus had to people and the reaction that his disciples had to these folks. And so it got me to thinking, what do people encounter when they meet disciples of Jesus? After all, Jesus is not physically on the earth today. Uh, he's left his word and his Holy Spirit to indwell us. But he said, I'm going to build my kingdom through my disciples in every generation. So that when people look at Tom Ricks, when people look at you, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, they ought to see him. Is that true? Is my encounter with people the same as if they met the Lord Jesus himself? Well, I think the answer to the question, what do people encounter when meeting disciples of Jesus, can be summed up in two words, triumph and tragedy. <laughs> I got a, a note recently from a person who had been visiting Green Tree and literally wrote this, this very brief email about a paragraph long uh, the day after they'd come for the very first time. And, and they just gave a glowing report of how people just absolutely loved uh, this person very well and just, and just welcomed this person and took time to, to, to meet this person and to shake their hand and to ask questions. And, to, and this person said, I just felt at home from the get-go, the triumph of running into disciples of Jesus. I can also tell you, I've sat in my study and have people tell me, you know what, we're leaving Green Tree. And the reason we're leaving Green Tree is because nobody ever speaks to us. <laughs> we don't even think we'll be missed when we're gone. <laughs> the tragedy... <laughs> of running into disciples of Jesus. A lot of people at Green Tree are here because they've had negative church experiences otherwhere, other, in other places. What will happen when people encounter us? Jesus and his disciples met all kinds of folks on their way to Jerusalem, and we're going to look at four of those encounters this morning. We're going to try to answer a couple of questions. What response did they get from Jesus, and what response did they get from his followers? Because as I, as I alluded to, you know, the last moment, there are all kinds of people here today. And what kind of response do you expect to get from Jesus? What kind of response do you expect to get 
from his disciples. We're going to look at these four encounters in Luke chapter 18 and 19. But before we jump into that, let's pray for just a moment. Father, as we come to this text this morning, having celebrated communion, having been reminded through the elements of your grace and your mercy, Father, hopefully having come again under the conviction of of our sin and our brokenness and our need for a Savior, we now turn our attention to your word. Father, it is, I believe, of, of utmost importance, especially as we come into Vision and Provision Sundays, we think about the type of church we long to be, the type of people of God that we want to be, the type of ministry that we hope to, to uh, carry out in your name. I think we come with excitement as well as with trepidation, and rightly so, Father, because if these passages tell us anything, they tell us that sometimes disciples can really miss the heart of Jesus. And so I pray that you would show us this, not so that we would feel condemned or or feel like we've uh, failed, but rather that we would be encouraged and strengthened and more resolute in our own spirits to follow the one who has loved us so unconditionally and so graciously. Lord, you know what I have to say is of no importance. I pray that you would move me aside you would forgive my sin. Don't let it stand in the way of what you want to tell us this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come and that you would be our teacher. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, as I said, we're going to wander through 18 and 19, and I mean that. We're going to jump around, and I think uh, the the folks who produce the slides every week will keep you up to speed. They've done a very good job with this, but we're not going to start with one verse and end at, at another verse and go through in a linear projection. So I guess I just want to say good luck keeping up, and hopefully uh, God's word will do what it's supposed to do. But I'm going I'm to approach this three ways. First thing I'm going to do is talk about uh, these four encounters. Who were the people? Who were the folks that were encountering Jesus and his disciples? The second question I want to ask is, what did they want? Okay, what were they, what were they looking for? And then thirdly, what response did they receive? So that's gonna, how we're going to kind of wander through this passage. Who were they? Well, four different uh, groups or individuals encountered Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. Verse 15 of chapter 18 says, Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. Uh, The first group of people uh, that uh, Luke tells us about in these two passages are simply called infants. And I would would title them the small and the helpless. Uh, The little babies are folks who are encountering Jesus. Uh, The second encounter we see in verse 18 of chapter 18, it says, and a ruler asked, asked him, good teacher, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. And then if you, uh, if you skip down to verse 23, uh, it says that Jesus gives him an answer and he goes away sad for he was extremely rich. So not only does Jesus meet the small and the helpless on his road to Jerusalem, but he also meets the religious, okay? The guy said, what do I do to inherit eternal life? He was concerned about spiritual matters, but he was also extremely wealthy. So the small and the helpless and the religious and the rich, The third encounter we see is in chapter 18, verse 41, where Luke records this uh, interaction. There was, excuse me, um, in verse 35, and as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Uh, So not only does Jesus meet the small and the helpless and the religious and the rich, but he also comes into contact with the diseased 
and the poor. This man was impoverished and he was sitting on the roadside begging because he had lost his sight. And in Jesus's day and age, uh, there wasn't anything to, to help those uh, who struggle with these kind of physical infirmities. And there was no uh, opportunity for uh, this person to have a job. And so he had resorted to begging and, and Jesus comes across the diseased and the poor. And then finally, chapter 19, uh, it says that as he came into uh, Jericho, Uh, there was a man there who was named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Uh, We run into uh, one who has um, encountered Jesus, who is a person who is, um, by the Jewish accounts, a very sinful person. There's nothing wrong with being a tax collector except in the day of Jesus that these tax collectors who were of Jewish descent were actually partnering with their, their enemies, the Romans, and were extorting money. Uh, from uh, their fellow countrymen. And so I'm going to, going to uh, give Zacchaeus the title of sinful and outcast. It was a guy who, who didn't have any qualms about ripping off the people around him. He was happy to, to gain uh, his wealth at the expense of others. But because of that, he was a very lonely person. There, there was no uh, Jew who would, who would have any self-respect, who would spend any time at all with Zacchaeus. So we see these four encounters that Jesus has on the way to Jerusalem, small and helpless, religious and rich, diseased and poor, sinful and outcast. And and I simply want to come back to what I said a few moments ago. I think all of those folks are probably represented in this room this morning on one level or another. We obviously have uh, lots of kids at Green Tree Community Church. Uh, We obviously uh, are a well-to-do congregation. We are a middle-class and upper-middle-class congregation. We uh, are pretty well-off, and because you're here, it seems to indicate that there will be some kind of religious interest in your life. But I think we also have uh, among us the the diseased and the physically infirmed and those who are struggling. And certainly I know there are people here this morning who say, you know what, if, if you wanted to describe me, uh, you know, kind of the guy who's the sinner and the outcast as I look at my life, yeah, that, that probably describes me. I wonder what your encounter will be this morning with Jesus. I wonder what your encounter will be with the disciples of Jesus. Well, what did these folks want? Again, I'm going to kind of run through this pretty quickly. I think it's fairly simple. Uh, but let's start with the small and the helpless. What did they want? Well, it says they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. In other words, they were looking for uh, a blessing. Uh, these parents wanted uh, Jesus to simply reach out and touch their children. And if you want to know why we walk our babies down the aisle, it comes from this verse. Uh, the idea that the body of Christ would come alongside these little infants who were baptizing and simply reach out a hand and offer a blessing. And notice that I, if you've been here at all, when we do baptisms, I don't ever say, hey, would you reach out and pat the baby on the head? <laughs> I say, would you reach out and offer that child a blessing? And as I walk up and down the aisle, you guys are smart and you get it. And, you, and I hear you say that, you know, bless you, little one, the Lord, bless you, the Lord be with you. And, and I hear that blessing. And every parent that has ever stood in front of this congregation has always said to me at some point afterwards, it's just so wonderful to watch the people of this church physically reaching out and offering a blessing to our child. That's what moms and dads want. They want their kids to be blessed. But what about this religious guy, this rich guy? What, what was he looking for? Well, in verse 18, it says this, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was looking for assurance. He was looking for the fact that, that he thought he was on the right path. He thought he was doing the things he was supposed to be doing. And he Jesus just wanted Jesus to assure him that he was doing okay. 
So Jesus gives them a list. He says, you, you know the, the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Uh, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And then he responds this way. All these things I have kept from my youth. I've done all this stuff, Jesus. I think not only was he looking for assurance, but he was also looking for validation. Lord, I want you to put your stamp of approval on the fact that I've never done any of these things. I'm here to have you tell me that I'm okay. I think a lot of us are looking for that in our relationship with Jesus. But one of the problems that we'll see is that uh, we aren't looking inward to see whether or not we deserve that validation, whether or not we deserve that assurance. Rather, we're, we're putting it all on Jesus. And that's what this religious and rich man was doing. He was wanting Jesus to assure him and to validate him. Well, what about the guy who was, who was sitting by the road uh, as he cries out to Jesus, have mercy on me? And Jesus asked him, what, what is it you want me to do? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. You know, that, that's not that tough to figure out. You could have answered that question before I read the verse. What, what would he want? He would want to be able to see. And the word that he uses there to recover my sight gives you the idea that at one time he could see. At one time he was able to look around. You know, I don't know if you've been outside this weekend. If you've spent the weekend inside, uh, uh, we need to talk. <laughs> you need to get outside. This is what I... Can, can anybody remember when the leaves have been this incredible? I mean, it's been a long time since we've had this kind of fall. So as soon as church is over, get in your car, get your tennis shoes on, go for a walk, but get outside and look at the leaves. But think of a person who was able to see that. And now to just hear somebody talk about it and not be able to see it again. He just wants to be able to have his sight back. Pretty simple request. Lord, let me recover my sight. What about this guy, Zacchaeus, who actually in, uh, in about uh, three weeks, we're going to come and we're going to spend a lot of time with Zacchaeus uh, because our theme verse for all of Luke is in this passage. But simply for our purposes this morning, what was Zacchaeus looking for? Okay, well, he's up in this tree. He wants to, uh, he wants to see Jesus, says in verse 3, and he was seeking uh, to see Jesus. But what else did he want? Uh, in verse 6, Jesus says, I'm going to go to your house today. Uh, in, in verse 6, he says, so Zacchaeus hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. I think Zacchaeus in the depths of his heart knew that his money wasn't enough, knew that, knew that his wealth would never suffice, would never meet his need, and he simply wanted acceptance. He wanted somebody to say, you know what, Zacchaeus, I'll spend some time for you. But then Jesus interacts with Zacchaeus. They have this lunch. And, and in the middle of the lunch, in verse 8, it says, Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, behold, uh, half my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. I think Zacchaeus was also looking for forgiveness. He was looking for Jesus, to, for somebody to look him in the eye and say, you know what, I know what you've done wrong. I know the, the things that you have not uh, the things to which you've not lived up. I know that the, the things that you've rebelled against God, and you know what? There's hope for you too. There's forgiveness. There's grace. I think the world is filled mostly with hopeless people. I really believe that. People who smile all the time, people who are very friendly, people who are, who are very productive in their lives and who, who do great things. I, I'm thinking about the, you know, the, the, the political campaign as everybody else is. And I think about these two guys who are running for president. And I'm not making a comment on their policies or what they're doing, but I think of what they've given up to do this. I think about the, the energy and the effort that they're putting into a wanting to do something that they think is, is, is very noble. And I think even people in those walks of life are still filled with hopelessness. 
And part of what we do is we try to, to ease that struggle and ease that pain by filling it with all kinds of things. And in Zacchaeus' case, he just filled it up with money and with wealth and with power. And yet at the end of the day, I believe in his heart of hearts. And he says very clearly here that he would give it all away if he could just find somebody who would love him and would offer him forgiveness. That's who they were. That's what they wanted. What did they receive? Well, I'm going to start with what they received from the disciples uh, and, and point those things out. And I'll, and I'll um, kind of overarch it by saying what they received from the disciples are three negative responses and one positive response. Let's start with the small and the helpless. We're back to verse 15 in chapter 18. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. What did the small and the helpless receive from the disciples? They received rejection. Don't you know that Jesus is way too busy for you? Don't you know that Jesus has more important things to do than to, than to hug these kids, than to touch these kids? Uh, I heard a, a politician once say, you know, I'm, I'm at least willing to admit that I'm a politician, which means that when I'm not kissing babies, I'm stealing their lollipops. <laughs> now, you know, that is the kind of person that's described by a lot of public figures, but not Jesus. <laughs> that's kind of where the disciples were. You know what? We, we don't have, these kids don't serve any purpose for us right now. So we need to get these small ones. We need to get these helpless ones out of the way. And the disciples offered rejection. What about the, the religious guy uh, and, the, and the rich guy? The guy was very wealthy and, and, and thought he had done all of these things. Uh, well, we're going to come to how Jesus answers his question, but, but basically in the end of their encounter, uh, this guy leaves because he rejects what Jesus offers. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, how, how difficult it is for the rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 26, it said, those who heard it, the disciples said, then who can be saved? In other words, the disciples were looking at this ruler, this, this very religious guy, and they were going, well, obviously he gets into heaven. <laughs> obviously he's made the right choices. Obviously he's walking down the right path. And what they were offering to this one was admiration. They're saying, this guy's got it made. This guy's doing all the right things. Obviously he will be blessed by God. And when Jesus says, fellas, you've missed it, they're stunned. <laughs> they're shocked. They cannot believe it. The disciples offer the rich religious man admiration. What about the guy who's sitting by the roadside begging? Verse 38, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In verse 9, he said, and those who were in front, which would be the disciples leading the way, rebuked him, telling him to be silent. What did he receive from the disciples? He received indifference. (laughs) We don't care about your problem, buddy. (laughs) We have bigger fish to fry. You need to be quiet. You're disrupting the Lord. You're disrupting the rabbi. The disciples offer indifference. And then what about this sinful outcast named Zacchaeus, who Jesus says, I'm going to go to your house today. In verse 6, we already read, he hurried uh, hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And then look at verse 7. And when they saw it, okay, they being the folks in the crowd, they all grumbled, okay? The disciples are included in this grumbling. They're not left out. And here's the grumbling. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. What did Zacchaeus receive from the disciples, the sinful outcast? He received disdain and ridicule and contempt. Three negatives and one positive. These were men who had spent 
the last three years hanging out with Jesus face to face. And as he's on his way to Jerusalem to fight uh, the final battle against sin and death, they still don't get it. How about Jesus? What response did he give? Well, the disciples offered uh, three negatives and one positive, and all you got to do is flip that coin on the other side to see Jesus' reaction. Jesus offers one negative and three positive reactions to these folks who come to him. The first, the small and the helpless. Again, uh, back in chapter 18 at the very beginning, Jesus says at verse uh, 16, Jesus called them to him. Now, he called the disciples over. So I want you to get this picture. Jesus is walking down the road. All these families are coming to him, bringing these little babies, reaching out. And the disciples who kind of are forming this ring around Jesus to help him work his way through the crowd begin to push these people aside and rebuke them, say, you know, get out of the way. We've, we've got more important things to do. And it's like Jesus said, hold it. Uh, families with small children, would you excuse us just a moment, Okay. Have you ever had like your spouse say that to you in front of people? I've had that experience once or twice. That's not a good experience, you know. Would you excuse us just a moment? We're going to go over here and talk, you know. And so Jesus pulls the disciples aside. (laughs) He says, now, fellas, I didn't want to embarrass you in front of everybody, but what on earth are you thinking? (laughs) And listen to what he says. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What does Jesus offer to these little ones? Well, the first thing he offers is affirmation. Don't, don't, let, don't hinder them. Get out of their way. He affirms the parents making the right choice. He affirms that he wants to be around these children. He affirms that they've come to the right place. But he also offers up the fact that they are an example. You've got to be like one of these. You guys think you've got it all right? (laughs) You've totally missed the boat. You've got to have a childlike faith. You have to be willing to ask the questions and listen and receive them and put your trust in me. You've got to become like a child and woe to the church that doesn't get this and says to the kids, you know, you need to be seen and not heard. Get off to the side and let the, let the parents and the adults do the important things for God and we'll, we'll get around to you later. I, uh, as you know, if you've been here at all, I coach hockey. And this year I'm coaching Jordan's, not the team at the high school, but there's a, a youth league uh, where we just get the guys some extra ice time. It's not really coaching. It's making sure that they don't kill each other. Uh, but we had a game over in Fairview Heights the other night, which is 12 miles on the other side of the river. So it's about a 30-minute drive from our house. And we carpooled together, and we're leaving the rink. And the two guys, the two kids that rode over with us got a ride with somebody else. But one of the kids uh, jumped in our back seat as we're pulling out and said, hey, could, can I have a ride back to St. Louis? Do you guys sure. So he hops in the car, and he gets in, and he sits down, and literally shuts the door, and these words come out of his mouth. So, Mr. Ricks, I hear you're a pastor. <laughs> so that's exactly right. And I see Jordan in the front seat kind of just, you know, just looking <laughs> straight ahead. <laughs> you know. Okay, his dad can talk about handling snakes, what's going to happen here, let's, you know. He's getting just a little bit nervous. And this kid who is, who, he, he acts like he's dumb, okay, one of the brightest kids that I think I've ever met, brilliant young man. And he begins to ply me with questions. You, now, are you sure you believe in the Bible? Are you, uh, I don't know that I even believe in God. How do you know God exists? And, and, and why, would you, why would you believe that Jesus is really Savior? Are you one of those people that they call fundamentalists? Are you kind of more liberal? And literally for 30 minutes back to St. Louis, I got to talk to this kid about Jesus. 
what high school kid gets in a car with an adult and says, let me ask you a question about God. <laughs> a child does. Because a child just wants to know. A child's not clouded with all of the polite things that we're concerned with in society and all the important things that we have to rush off and do while we just pat them on the head and tell them to mind their own business. A child wants to know. And Jesus affirms that. And he says to those parents, you've made a good choice. Let these kids come to me. They're an example of how you come to the kingdom of God. What about this religious and rich guy? What happens to him? Well, Jesus says, you know the commandments, and I've read all those to you. You know, he says, all these things I've kept from my youth. And then in verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. What did Jesus offer to this, to this rich man? He offered him a challenge. He said to him, you think you've got it right? I'm here to tell you you've got it wrong. <laughs> so here's some things I want you to do. I want you to go and sell. I want you to give it away. And then I want you to come and follow. And I want you to do it in that order. I want you to leave right here. Leave right now. Okay, we'll wait. You know, kind of like a Billy Graham crusade. Came by bus, we'll wait. <laughs> I want you to liquidate. Get, get all, that, all that junk that you've accumulated over the years. Just have a garage sale. All right, we'll help you come over and price tag it. Then I want you to take all the money that you get from that, and I want you to go give it to the poor, and then I want you to come and hang out with me. That's what it means to have eternal life. It means worshiping me with everything you have, with all of your being. And he offers him a challenge. Will you, will you do that? If you really believe I'm who I say I am, if you really trust my answer, then here's the challenge. Put your faith into action. And then in verse 24, it says, and then he went away sad. Because, excuse me, verse 23. But then when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And he walks away. And the second thing that Jesus offers this man is not only a challenge, but he offers him a release. He doesn't grab him. He doesn't twist his arm and say, no, I'm going to make you do this. You know, this is for your own good. You'll, you'll thank me tomorrow, all right? He simply offers a challenge and says, but if you don't want it, I'm going to let you go your own way. I'm never going to bully myself into your heart or into your mind. You must choose to put your faith in me. And so the one who moments earlier, the disciples were thinking, well, this guy's really got it made. Jesus says he's the one who's missed the boat. What about the diseased uh, and the poor? Uh, Jesus offers him a couple of things. The first thing is in verse 41, uh, he came near to him and said, what do you want me to do? Jesus offers him a question. And I think that's a great question. And I think that's a question that every person in this room ought to think about this morning. What exactly is it you want Jesus to do? Do you want him to take care of your retirement portfolio? <laughs> do, you, do you want him to, to, to fix your marriage? Do you want him to uh, make sure that, that you don't have any physical uh, problems, that you, you live a long and healthy life? Now, let me tell you something. There's nothing wrong with having a good retirement portfolio. I hope you have a great marriage, and I really want you to be healthy. But at the end of the day, none of that means anything if you don't know Jesus. And so Jesus asked this guy the question, what are you, what are you expecting of me? And I believe that's a question that every one of us should wrestle. I believe that Jesus is not asking just to that fellow, but he's asking it to me and he's asking it to you this morning. But he doesn't just offer him a question, but he offers him an answer. The guy says, Lord, I just want to recover my sight. In verse 42, Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. 
I've talked about this several places in Luke, but I just want to, to bring it up again because this is how Luke records Jesus's words when he heals someone. He always congratulates them for making a great choice of faith. And one of the things that Jesus will offer to you this morning, if you allow him, is that answer. Your faith is placed in the right spot. You have chosen well. What about the sinful and the outcast? What about Zacchaeus? He stands up and says, you know, Lord, I've probably defrauded people. I'll pay him back four times over, and I'm going to sell half of everything I have and give it to the poor. In verse 9, Jesus says to him, today salvation is come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Now, I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to dwell on this too much because in a couple of weeks, I'm going to jump into this in, in depth uh, in about three weeks. But suffice it to say that Jesus offers forgiveness. <laughs> Jesus doesn't say, hey, Zach, no, you, it's really okay. You haven't done that many bad things. You know, the scales kind of balance out. <laughs> no, he says, now finally Zacchaeus has got it. He didn't have salvation before, but today he gets it. And Jesus offers forgiveness. So what do we do with these encounters? I have two observations I would offer to you this morning in the way of application. The first one is simply this. Have you encountered Jesus? I don't mean, do you know about Jesus? I don't mean, have you, have you heard about him through uh, going to church occasionally or a friend telling you something about him? But have you encountered Jesus? Not just for, for affirmation or for him to tell you that he's okay, but actually for salvation, actually for him to give you a new life that will last forever. Because, and here's where it kind of really jumped out of the page at me, was these verses kind of stuck right in the middle of these four encounters. In verse 31, Jesus said, and taking the 12, again, he's kind of pulled them aside. Now he's going to tell them something else. In the middle of this journey and all these people around him, he pulls the 12 aside and he says this, see, We're going up to Jerusalem and everything that was written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spin upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Have you encountered that Jesus? (laughs) Because all four of those encounters are pointing to salvation. Okay. All four of those teach us that. These babies, that you must have this kind of faith, what? To be saved. That's how you enter the kingdom of God. To the rich ruler, sell everything, give it away, come and follow, invest in an eternal kingdom because that's how you experience salvation. To the blind man, your faith in me, your trust in me has healed you to a deeper level than maybe you even understand right this moment. Zacchaeus, today salvation has come. Friends, that's the most important question you'll ever ever have to wrestle with. What are you going to do with Jesus? Will you trust him to be your savior? But there's also an equally important question, I believe, for the disciples of Jesus, because I asked the question at the outset, what did these folks encounter from Jesus? But I also asked, what did they encounter from the disciples? And what they encountered from from the disciples was the polar opposite, (laughs) of what they encountered from Jesus. And I'm fearful that that may be way too true in my own life. My question is, do they see Jesus through us or in spite of us? When people interact with those of us who claim to have recipients or be recipients of God's grace, do they see that grace in our lives or rather do they see a self-righteousness? 
Do they see the disciples of Luke 18 and 19 who got it woefully wrong? Or rather, do they see the mercy of God that transcends even the depths of our sin? that can cause us to be vessels that he can use for his glory. Vessels filled not with with self-righteousness and not with smugness and not with the ugliness of, of having contempt for others while feeling secure in our own salvation, but rather do they see the beauty of the grace of God. Sometimes you gotta look closely, but I hope it's there. I read recently uh, about the uh, air raids that took place in the Battle of Britain and how London was completely bombed out and and shelled uh, night and day for for those uh, several months in uh, 1941. And something interesting happened uh, after the, the, the battle was over and they began to clear away the debris. Uh, and a lot of these bombed out craters uh, all around uh, the English uh, cities uh, and even into the countryside a bit, there were flowers blooming in those craters that hadn't bloomed in England in literally hundreds of years. And there was something in the bombs that uh, germinated with the, uh, the soil in England that allowed uh, these flowers to come up to the top and allowed there to be some beauty in the midst of, of the devastation that had taken place. And the reason I tell you that story is because of this. Friends, your life is a bombed out crater apart from Christ. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much success you have in this life. I don't care how many people like you and think you're a wonderful person. The facts are, if you don't know Jesus, I know there's a lot of junk in your life that makes you look like a bombed out crater. And the reason I know that is because I know my own heart. And I know I'm just as bad, if not worse, than every person in this room. But I also know that there can be a flower that blooms in your life, so to speak. And that's the, that's the beauty of the gospel that will cause people to walk by your your bombed out crater and go, my goodness, there's something beautiful there. I wonder what that could possibly be. And then when they encounter a disciple, they'll also get to encounter Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for every man, woman, and child in this room myself included. Father, I pray for those who uh, don't know you, uh, who haven't yet come to faith in Christ. I pray that they would see themselves in these encounters and see the beautiful answers that Jesus gives and that they would know that their encounter with Jesus would lead lead to the same mercy, the same grace, the same challenge, what are you going to do? Are you going to forsake all this and follow me? <laughs> or are you going to have other things that, that take up room in your life and become your God? Lord Jesus, I pray that mercy would find sinners in this room this morning. Father, I also pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Those of us who call ourselves a Green Tree Community Church, You give us the opportunity every day outside of these four walls to not only to know you, but to be used by you to encounter those who need to know you. And I think sometimes we miss that. We go on our way and we get busy and uh, we forget that there are people walking around us every day that are desperate for an encounter with Jesus. So, Father, for those of us who 
want to be your disciples. Would you fill us with your spirit and your word so that we, we model our lives after the encounters of Jesus and that we point people to his forgiveness, to his grace, and to his mercy. I want to close how we kind of began the service with just a moment of silent prayer for you. I'm going to let you just have a moment to, to pray to God and to ask him to speak into your life this morning. Now we'll close.